Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr, and joining me tonight, I have Kama. Hi, this is Kama. You can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. Clotho. Hi, this is Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. Lot. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr. And we are thrilled to welcome back to the podcast, Chicky. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chicky. I am Chickren on Tumblr. And tonight's episode is a special podcast where we are going to talk about our favorite Song of Ice and Fire chapters. Um, Even so, I would warn that there might be spoilers for the Game of Thrones series, for the books, and one of our standard trigger warnings for rape. Um, We have tried to do this episode for a few months now, and we finally have gotten around to it now (laughs) after, after some reasonable delays. And to give a little background on the episode... Back in, I believe it was January or February, we did some polls where we polled um, fandom in general, um, not just the Jamie Brienne fandom, but the extended A Song of Ice and Fire fandom, as well as everyone in the podcast about what their top ten A Song of Ice and Fire chapters were. And we're going to be referencing the results of those polls, and when we post the episode, we'll post links to it so you guys can actually see um, all the voting, all of the voting that people did. So it's pretty interesting. Um, we wanted to really spend more time on this episode, though, with a combined podcast uh, top chapters. And to get to a combined score, what we did is, um, based upon everyone's top ten, the their favorite episode got a certain number of points, second favorite a lower number of points, etc. And then I tallied up the points to get to a final top ten. So there is a little bit of a system behind here, but it also means that um, we might... God, Guile, thank you for the work. My God, this is complicated. (laughs) It's secretly and scarily, like, a lot of fun. (laughs) So I'm not... And plus it was a long time ago, so I don't really remember all of it. So not not too big of a deal. But let's, um, let's jump right in and and uh, reveal what we actually had some ties. So instead of a fan, instead of a podcast top 10, we actually have a podcast top 12. (laughs) So, yeah, I know. uh, Exciting. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, most of our listeners can probably guess who a lot of these chapters are going to be from, (laughs) but there are, I will say there are some surprises. So I'm going to straight up just tell you now, I just chose four randoms at the end because I was like, I got to pretend like I'm interested in something else in these books. (laughs) Oh man. And see, I had all these other characters. Me too. I had a hard time whittling it down to 10. I had a really hard time. I mean, yeah. I like them. I like the the chapters, but they're just not as um, they're not as interesting to me. Yeah, I almost wish I could. Like, if I would have had a separate, like, if I if I didn't, like, I felt like I needed to include Jamie and Brienne. But if I hadn't, I would have had a lot more to. You know what I mean? I would have had some <laughs> like more room in there. Yeah, yeah. version of this. Yeah, that's, actually a really, um, that's a really good idea. So next time, <laughs> yeah, I would have had you know a more variety. <laughs> so um, the number twelve, the 
number 12 chapter here is A Storm of Swords, Caitlin uh, 7, which is probably the most infamous chapter in all of A Song of Ice and Fire, which is The Red Wedding. So looking at um, looking at some of the individual picks, it looks like, and I'm sorry, I'm going to eyeball this. I know, Kama, this was one of your top chapters. Number two. Yeah, wow. so. Wow. You know, Explain yourself. Yeah, it is a good one. It's it's a well written one. It, it doesn't <laughs> mean that I yeah. like. Um, I enjoyed it. In fact, um, I read this. There were two chapters in A Song of Ice and Fire that resulted in me throwing my book across the room, and this was one of them. Um, so it's not an. It's not that it's enjoyable. It's just that it's such. I thought it was such an amazingly well written chapter, and I felt. Like, you know, it's such, it starts out, it's such a crappy wedding. I mean, I don't think the show really adequately (laughs) gave us that. And it's like, we've all been at those kinds of events where you're like, you have to go, you're obligated, your head is pout, you just want to get the hell out of there. And it's hell. And then this turns into a whole other level of hell. Um. I just thought it was brilliantly written. I felt like I was there seeing it. it. It's not like it was like something I turned to over and over again, but it's like I still, I the ending, the bit about Ned loves my hair, it just, oh. it like punches me in the gut. Oh. It's so visceral. It's just. You know, yeah. I've never, I've never completely reread it. Oh. I, when I, whenever I read, reread, I'll like get to, get to the point where they killed Daisy and I just can't anymore. <laughs> to just like opt out of it. I like the the whole aspect of the music, and you can just kind of feel this claustrophobia in the chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the food sucks, and Rob is trying desperately, you know, to do his duties, dancing with every single fray that he can find. Catelyn's trying to be social because that's what you do at these things, and like when you reread it. You can just see, I mean, when you reread this book, you can totally see how much of this is, like, telegraphed that this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just how, you know, short everyone is with her, that Ryman Frey, you know, every every civil inquiry he's got, like, you know, he just wants nothing to do with her. And it's because he's going to be there, you know, they're going to be butchering them very shortly. I didn't pick them based on I enjoy these. My right. criteria was I thought these were like the best. These are the ones that kind of stayed with me. Yeah. yeah. Resonated with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's oh, not yeah. like I enjoy reading this. In fact, I, I really don't. Like I said, I literally hurled my, you know, trade paperback, which is a heavy book, mind you, across the room. And this was the second. I don't know if it's the first or second time. I did it twice for this book. Yeah, this was so, close. You know, it was close on yeah. my list, and and I feel the same way. A lot of the ones I picked were because they, you know, I was looking at things that stuck with me and ones that stood out. And I think it's interesting too when we, you know, when we see the fandom top chapters. This was actually ranked eighth, so it's pretty similar to our list. And I, I think for a lot of the reasons, comma that you gave, like it's very well written. It's something that sticks and you know it sticks with you, but maybe not something you necessarily enjoy. Yeah. And then I think it's, you know, one question I had for some of the chapters, too, is, you know, when we compare it to, you know, how do you feel like it compared to the show version of the chapter? Oh, this is, this is, 
hands down above and beyond anything this show ever tried. I think there's mm-hmm. things that I liked in the show version of the Red Wedding, though. Like, I, you know, I really liked the Roos and Cat interaction just because oh, yeah. it's so, like, creepily, like, kind of sexy. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love the whole, like, that, you know, they're kind of almost, you know, I actually kind of, sh- I mean, it was kind of shippy in a way. Um, And then that bit where he, like, slams his hand down and, like, kind of, like, you know, look at, you know, and you you see the male. But I thought it was really poorly blocked. I don't feel that they telegraphed in any way the whole thing about the guest right. I don't think they conveyed the misery of this wedding, of how... It actually was kind of funny. Like, if you guys remember the start of the episode with all of, you know, Walder introducing all of his daughters and granddaughters. And there's actually a bit of humor in it. And I think, you know, it was part of it was to sort of throw you off balance, where I, I feel like reading this chapter... You know, it's so foreboding. Like, if you don't expect what's going to happen, I mean, if you don't expect something terrible to happen to it, I feel like you've probably never seen like a horror film or anything. Oh yeah, and the bells. I mean, those little yeah. touches that you know, obviously, they're things they just couldn't do. And, and you know, again, when she was thinking about her hair, and um, she did an excellent job. But there's some things you just can't convey unless you're reading that actual. Yeah. Although I think she amazingly was able to act out like the moment kind of like when her soul flees her body mm-hmm. like before she, she dies did, though. she did an like, amazing job yeah she really did mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's anything more she could have done you know no yeah, i thought the acting was excellent yeah. i was mostly it was it was the blocking was strange i was like the whole roofs runs out of the room comes back stabs rob runs out of the room uh. yeah, i mean it was just like what the hell <laughs> don't make me be a show <laughs> defender here like but you say what you want you can't argue though that you can't deny the fact that it had a huge impact on television audiences oh, oh, it was yes. like the whole phenomenon with like filming your friends watching it mm-hmm. yeah they did no. they did something right with that because i yeah. think blew up mm-hmm. yeah well i mean most of that though was just killing robin catlin i mean well i guess talisa too but Cheers. I don't know. I, you know really I, I, haven't, I haven't rewatched it though. Have you guys really even rewatched yes. it? It's just the same oh, as the chapter. I haven't rewatched times. it. Yeah. You have? Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. You gotta understand. I'm obsessed with Michael McElhat, and I've seen this. <laughs> oh, I don't know how. It's many in your super cut. Time. It's in your super cut of, yeah, of sexy much. old men. So, it's just like she's got like me. romantic music playing as Catelyn no, uncovers no, the veil in her sleep for the screen caps of it, that that kind of nasty look on his face. Which uh, anyhow, you're learning way too much about me. But um, <laughs> no, it's the, where it falls down for me actually is the blocking. It's just a little strange the way the the bat is just like what the hell? Why is he leaving? He just killed, you know. I don't know. I still don't understand that. All right. Um, ready to move on? Sure. Yep. yep. So the next oh, yeah. one on the list is a Game of Thrones Bran three, and this is when Bran is is still in his coma and he is flying with a three eyed crow and wakes up. Um, this was actually my this was my second favorite chapter. So, uh-huh. and wow. I'm like the only person that picked this chapter. And well, not you know, just, there's but Guile. It's not just this chapter. This is the only chapter from a Game of Thrones that's yeah, in the top. Yeah. Yep, 12, this is our only, and this oh. is, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it goes down to, like, number 16, I think. So there's not, like, a lot of Game of of a Game of Thrones chapters, and if we look at, you know, fandom in general, again, not necessarily that many. You know, Danny's last chapter, um, Ned's chapter when he's dreaming of the Tower of Joy, those are pretty popular, but otherwise, 
um, individual Game of Thrones chapters, and there's not really some, not really ones that stand out in the way that um, that other ones did. But I, you know, there's a lot of like subtle prophecy in this in this chapter, and to me, this is like the chapter that sums up the story. Like this is what actually everything is about, and it's it's kind of it's one of the chapters that makes me love um, George because he writes like a child so well. And I find it just amazing that he can write, you know, these battles and all this other stuff, but then he can write, you know, like an eight year old boy. And I feel like it really gets him. And it's kind of amazing. Um, I have a couple of passages from this chapter because I couldn't just pick one. So cool. <laughs> I apologize yeah. ahead, but I wanted to um, just read a couple and, you know, both in both cases, brand it's, you know, from Bran's point of view, of course, um, he looked south and saw the great blue-green rush of the trident. He saw his father pleading with the king, his face etched with grief. He saw Sansa crying herself to sleep at night, and he saw Arya watching in silence and holding her secrets hard in her heart. Which I just, I loved, I mean, a very short excerpt, but I just, I love that insight into Arya. You know, she is already, you know, her heart is already hardened at this point. And, you know, Bran goes on where he, see, you know, he sees as far north as north goes and there's this you know there's this point where he sees all these daggers flying up at him you know they flew up at him like spears he saw the bones of a thousand other dreamers impaled upon their points he was desperately afraid can a man still be brave if he's afraid he heard his own voice saying small and far away and his father's voice replied to him that is the only time a man can be brave now Bran, the crow urged choose fly or die Death reached for him, screaming. Bran sped, spread his arms and flew. Wings unseen drank the wind and filled him and pulled him upward. The terrible needles of ice receded below him. The sky opened up above. Bran soared. It was better than climbing. It was better than anything. The world grew, grew small beneath him. I'm flying, he cried out in delight. I've noticed, said the three-eyed crow. <laughs> I love, like, the crow kind of having the, I've noticed. Like, like I love that there's, like, a personality in it. And I just, that, like, that little I've noticed makes me just, I mean, it made me totally fall in love with the chapter. And it's so dark in some ways, but it's just, like, that tiny bit of lightness and personality pulled me in. Like what you might find in a children's book. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like a children's book, which probably explains a lot about me. Um <laughs> And this is, no. of course, one that was not, you know, never, um, never in the show, never adapted. So, yeah, yeah, it really wasn't. It's funny. I've often wondered if I just kind of like emotionally detached from Bran very early on because I was afraid of where his story was going. And like this chapter is a really good example, I think, of why there's just kind of a dread with Bran. You, you know, it's like you just kind of have a feeling nothing's going to turn out very well. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, what to say other than that. And it's like this, this chapter is a really prime example of that. There's a, even though obviously he's, you know, terribly injured and everything there, even beyond that, there, there is just a sense of dread. Kind of like you said, Guile, really about the entire story um, within it. And I, I think, you know, the really, you know, pretty much the second most popular brand chapter is, is his very last chapter in Dance, which is even like this extremely strong, like a very obvious sense of dread and doom, and it's dark and disturbing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I definitely, I definitely get that. Like, 
apparently that attracts me. Like, I just want more of that. I don't want to run away from it. But, um, yeah, it's definitely... I just feel like proves that you belong in Song of Ice and Fire fandom right there, because... Yeah, for the... <laughs> that's that's a cannibalism, apparently. So. I, I really liked his chapters. I mean, in one of mine, which we'll, I guess if we have time, we'll talk about some of the ones that didn't make the cut, is from... Um, uh, it's from a song of, uh, I'm sorry, Storm of Swords. But it's like, what I think I love with so many of them is like, and I think and this is partly just because of logistics on the show, but he's such a little boy in these. Mm-hmm. Like, they're always these, yeah. I mean, I think fandom has this tendency to age these characters up to like late adolescence. But no, he's a little kid. And you know it that's what sort of breaks my heart every time that these children are being put in these circumstances that should you know would break an adult and they're just tiny kids i mean it just and they're so well written that's the other thing with his stuff yeah and he writes them so well as kids yeah yeah and he was one you know from the start i remember it sort of shifted as the more i got into the books but he was one of my favorites from the beginning of the starks of the stark kids i remember mm-hmm. really kind of i don't know why identifying with bran and yeah i got you know a brand two is on my list but obviously there's the jamie connection there but well yeah. he has the first he's got the first pov doesn't he uh, yeah all told yeah. i mean he's the first one we are introduced to yeah, in a game of thrones so yeah. What's interesting is in one of the spreadsheets. So sorry to the listeners, but you, you do probably want to have the spreadsheets open. This is like my dream. I can podcast and make people look at spreadsheets at the same time. <laughs> so this is like which one are all we looking at? Are we looking at the the big one or the? Well, I'm looking. You know, looking at the the fan the fandom top chapters. I think okay. one thing that's interesting is. You know, we think of, you know, the four Stark kids as, you know, kind of our main heroes in a way. And yet, actually, their chapters aren't necessarily that popular. Yeah. You know, in their cases, it's a couple of things. It's not like there's one chapter that is universally, like, this is the best chapter. Or that, you know, all of their chapters are kind of all loved or, you know, any circumstance like that. It's just like, I think people like the characters and they like the journey, but there's not an individual chapter for the most part with probably the exception of Sansa that Mm -hmm. um, people can really point to as like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the one that's the definitive chapter. Whereas, you know, some of the other characters, you know, like Catelyn, for example, there's, you know, a couple in Davos, there's a couple that are very much like, yep, that's the one that's the, that's the iconic moment for that character. And maybe it's because, you know, frankly, they haven't had their iconic moment yet. You know, it's coming up. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. So our next chapter is um, A Dance with Dragons, John 2. And Chicky, this was on your list. I think this was your second favorite <laughs> chapter. And it's um, pretty infamous for some block fetching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... Um... Oh God! I mean, like I realize that that not everybody on podcast is as in love with John as I am, but I mean, for me, dance was just so much about John and John really coming into his own. And it's not just the Ed fetch me a block in that chapter; it's just everything in it is just John having to make these terrible, terrible decisions, like terrible decision after terrible decision he has to make in that chapter, and it's like he just has to do what what he thinks is is right for the greater good over and over and over and he just can't really allow himself to be kind or to be 
soft in any way. And it's like the I love I love the chapters when George really digs into someone who's having an emotional crises. <laughs> and this is definitely one of those. And of course, there's Ed Fetch Me a Block, which is also kind of a fist pumper. I mean, that's that's great, too. And I think this was the baby switch in this episode. In this episode. Yeah, this, um... it is. It's when he tells Gilly um, that he that she's going to have to take Mansa's baby away from the wall instead of her own. And it is, you know, it's one of those heartbreaking moments. It's like, you know, it has to happen. You know, John has found the only solution to save that kid. But at the same time, what it's doing to Gilly and he can't, you know, he can't be kind to her. He can't, which he wants to do, but he can't because, you know, he has to do, he has to do the hard thing. It's this interesting. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, are, is this the whole kill the boy mantra thing that he keeps yeah. repeating to himself? Which yeah. it's clear he's misunderstood a lot of that, but okay. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know that he's, why do you think he's misunderstood it? I think like, I actually, I remember enjoying these chapters. Like I really liked John in the beginning in the first book and I kind of liked him in dance. I was less enthralled with him in the other three, but I think what, he he gets wrong a lot and i may be the only one with this opinion is he's making these decisions as a leader and they're good decisions i mean the things he wants to do are creative and they're innovative solutions and they're going to help them but he's being so determined it's sort of like danny with the if i look back i am lost and it's like it's like They've they have an interpretation of what they think that means, but it's like they're they're sort of losing the bigger picture. Like I feel like if John he needs to be part of being a leader is you have to sell what you want to do to the people you are leading. And he doesn't always communicate that with his um people. Well, and, and I, I mean, think part that's of it partly is he, what does him yeah. in. Well, and part of it is he, you know, he isolates himself as well. Yeah. So he doesn't have like the minions to sell his program. Well, he doesn't have Sam anymore to help. Well, he doesn't him. have Gren. Or I, I think. Or, actually, he does have. Well, Pip, he does have Pip. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't. He, I think what part of it is is he loses kind of the pulse of the the common man because he doesn't have anybody who's kind of keeping a finger on that pulse for him. But really what Eamon says to him, I think he does. I don't think he, I don't think he misunderstands what it means to say, kill the boy. It is, it is, you know, you, you can't, you can't continue to, to do the thing that you want to do. It's, it's kind of like Guile and I talk about with the, the old Ed, Edmer Tully, you know, defense, which is, you know, Edmer's really doing the right thing. He's trying to save people's lives, but it's like, is it the right thing to do strategically for, for the greater good of all? Maybe not. And, and those are the decisions that John is, is kind of coming into his own with as far as, you know, the really tough, really big picture. I mean, you know, we look at John and we say, oh, okay, well, he's just a Lord Commander. He's in charge of a few hundred people. But in reality, John is trying to make decisions that will basically, you know, save or or kill mankind. Yeah, and life he, or death. It's taking <laughs> the ultimate. Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, like, I, I just kind of like it because this is him wading into it. And yes, in this chapter, it, Eamon does, he does have the memory of Eamon telling him this because this is actually... What Eamon told Egg, which is funny because we're going to get into this, I guess, in our Duncan Egg books, maybe. Or, well, no, we won't get into that that point. But this is what Eamon told Egg when Egg became king because Egg was still very much a boy, Eamon says, when he became king. And Eamon says, I told him, you know, you have to kill the boy and let the man be born because you're going to be king now and you can't you can't be soft anymore. 
And I think John does get that part because there were parts of him that were still soft. And in fact, that kind of comes out with the Ed fetch me a block because it's uh-huh. like he, he's he's like in his head begging Janice Flint not to make him kill him. He's like, please just go along with this so that I don't have to kill you. But, you know, when Janice Flint won't, then he has to just, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, he gave him so many chances on reread. I totally forgot. He let him sleep it off. He figured, you know, let him, you know, sleep the night. Maybe he'll be better in the morning and decide. He gave him numerous, mm-hmm. yeah, numerous mm-hmm. chances. Mm-hmm. And I think my response, comma, with you would be, I think John does have the majority of the men behind him. I, I, I think he has a consensus. It's just that the the mutineers managed to pull one off. But I don't think it's a situation where John hasn't convinced most of the Night's Watch to go along with what he's doing. I think he has. And there's just there's a contingent, as there always is in any you know country, who just completely disagree and who are kind of refusing to see the way forward and that's what he keeps running into and this is like one of the first chapters where you're seeing that because of course you know it's the the ongoing you know there are people who don't like what he's doing there are people who don't like what he's doing and it just kind of recurs almost in every single one of his dance chapters because george is just kind of building this kind of like the red wedding just like a thrum of mm-hmm. something's gonna go wrong something's gonna go wrong and is he is he about 16 here i know they said he was half as old as uh yeah he's what, 16 yeah. okay well okay, because so young. yeah that's about right and, and I, um, I think that's kind of I, when I was looking at the list. I think I'm one of the only. Am I the only other person that had a John chapter? I had John three, and for me, John three and the the cave was the whole thing. It felt like I don't know. It really spoke to me. Kind of this universal feeling of we kind of all, as we're teenagers or whatever, we have this feeling of we want something not to end. Whether it's a relationship, we have this moment where everything's happy and everything's wonderful, and especially in their world where they have all these outside <laughs> horror happening. God. Yeah, I mean, I just really identified with him and what he was going through, you know, how torn. Yeah, I, I love when he's back from beyond the wall and he, you know, he thinks about, you know, oh, I should have never, you know, I, mm, I never, I should have never loved her. I should have never left her. And it's like, oh, John, oh, honey. I didn't have any John chapters at all. Me either. I didn't have any John chapters either, but I did. I mean, I remember them and I enjoyed them, but they didn't make my cut. I'm making up for all of you. (laughs) Well, he was one of my, he was on my list. He was one of my faves. He really was one of my faves. The show actually kind of put me off him a little bit. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to go back and have my feelings again for John. (laughs) I remember the Val stuff being kind of cool. Liking him thinking about Val and stuff. So moving along. Our next chapter is a very popular one on the podcast and on and in fandom in general, and is one that has never been adapted really in any meaningful way. <laughs> um, a Dance with Dragons, Davos Four, The North Remembers. Yes. <laughs> oh, that didn't make my cut. It made mine. <laughs> mine too. Which was why it'd be on the mine list. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. Well, talk I think to us about is, it. <laughs> I think this is one that. Um, People, you know, no one really, it's not anyone's absolute favorite one, but it's one that, um, you know, is very much obviously in the top 10. And I think it's because, I mean, and you guys, you know, who also listed it, feel free to disagree. But I think part of it is because in these books, there's just so much horrible shit that happens that this is one of those moments of triumph. Like, there's so very few moments of triumph in the books and, you know, you have to just like hold on, to hold on to them when they happen, you know. 
The yeah. amazing jewel. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, for me, um, it's funny because so many, I think pretty much every other chapter choice that I made is about the character in the chapter, whereas the funny thing with Davos 4 is it's so much about the greater story, and it is about the Stark story, really, you know, the story of the North. And, I mean, when when Wyman Manderley starts into this and, you know, the Mummer's farce is almost done, like, it's impossible not to feel like something at that I think even if you weren't a Stark fan it's just like you know you feel the kind of the depth of the world that they're in that loyalties run this deep that you know people take things seriously and that what has been done not only to the Starks but to the North as a whole is is something that can't be ignored and won't be ignored and it just kind of gives you that little bit of hope that you need to keep going because God knows things are fucking bleak by the time you get to feast and dance yeah, right, um, and I think you know, Chicky. In your case, I know you you were a big fan of Davos three, which is the chapter immediately before, and has you know Will Amanderley's great speech. And I think if you take mm-hmm. the two chapters in tandem, it's yeah. you know awesome. If they if he could have if both those moments happened in the same chapter, then it might be a contender for you know people's favorite chapter. Which you know we could all argue maybe they should have happened in the same chapter, but that's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, George! Why are there seventy-five <laughs> chapters? Bah. I think I think Davos three. Yeah, Davos three is on my list. Davos three is way higher on my list because Davos right. three. I like that more because of Davos. It's about Davos as a character, mm-hmm. whereas yeah, this is about the story. So our next chapter is another is one that I think will probably not come as any surprise to anyone. Um, it's A Clash of Kings, Catelyn 7, which is otherwise known as Catelyn hooks up with Jamie in the Riverland Dungeons. <laughs> not that way, but not unfortunately. That way. <laughs> unfortunately, because... That's not what I heard. <laughs> yeah, I heard some rumors at the Crossroads Inn that he had a three-way. <laughs> Still right? ready to read that, I'm just going to say. Ian's um, favorite thing about, I think, a storm of swords are the stories of what might have happened between Jamie, Callan, and Brienne. Oh God, my favorite thing too. It's great. I just picture her being so bewildered by it all. Brienne. Cat? Oh, Brienne. <laughs> yeah, I think Catelyn would know what's going on. I think Jamie would know what's going on, but Brienne would be like, "What the hell?" When I think like there's. I love the, you know, Catelyn's description of Jamie too. Like he's, you know, just repulsive, but he's in like that. I'm trying to think of like those flowers that are repulsive, but still beautiful. And I mean, that's exactly what he kind of, you know, he is. And he's like literally full of shit. <laughs> it's just, you know, literally and figuratively. And he's just, you know, when I think of like some of the sometimes, you know, like the fandom goofy Jamie, and then I read this chapter, and it's just like, oh yeah, this is this is Jamie, like this is that guy, like oh, and I it's mean, almost like wonderful to see him again. But you get the feeling even Catelyn's a little into what Jamie's, <laughs> yeah, putting out in this chapter. I mean, he is just like he he's at the end of his rope. He has no hope. But you can tell that he doesn't think he's ever getting out of this dungeon alive. You know, and so he just has no fucks left to give. And but he still has his hand, and he's still very much the Jamie of you know old. But he's just done. He just doesn't care. I mean, he just tells her everything, everything she asks, he tells her. 
it's fabulous. And the thing I love most about this is I've always kind of said there's really a similarity in my mind to the role that Catelyn plays in her family and the role that Jamie plays in his family. I mean, for these two, everything is about their people. Like, they just love their people. It's, you know, it's that whole Tully family thing. And for Jamie, that's just everything. His family, his, you know, sometimes a little too much family, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> they love their families and they'll do anything, you know. I mean, here you have Catelyn who is... I mean, this is a really complex emotional interaction that they're having because she goes down and she's just taking huge swipes at Jamie for his honor. And it's like by the end of, of the chapter and, and you're like, oh, well, she just, you know, whatever. <laughs> she hated him. And then you get to the next book and you realize, you know, she really did let him go. I mean, like, I, I couldn't believe she really let him go. It's like, oh, no, she really let him go. So she's sitting down there taking swipes at Jamie for being dishonorable when she's about to commit treason against her own son. Yeah. And she's dealing with the the news that she just lost two of her kids and like the emotional, like just weight that she's grappling with in this chapter is really fabulous. And I love the way that George handled it. I mean, I'm a pretty big Catelyn fan and this is this is just primo Catelyn. I think like we, you know, obviously we we key in on the confrontation with Jamie, but the start of the chapter when she's eating with Brienne and just you know, is absolutely distraught oh, yeah. and, but really can't, you know, she hasn't shared the news about Brandon Ricken to anyone at that point. You know, it's just devastating. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine what she's going through and she doesn't know where her girls are, what's going on with her girls. She's not even sure Arya's alive either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and you know, Jamie is horrible to her. I mean, he's legitimately, a huge asshole. Like he's okay. co- sort of, he's still like a Jamie Charming kind of asshole, but he's you know awful. Oh, he and just I can finds, imagine he finds all the wounds and just pours salt in them. Right. Yeah. But you also see, you know, all he really wants to know is if you know Cersei and Tyrion are still alive, and then to a lesser extent, like Tywin. And that's like really all he cares about. And it's interesting. Like he never asks about Joffrey or Tommen or Marcella at all. It's really, it's no. Isn't this one of the longest conversations we've seen him, him have, as far as like another person's point of view before his start? Isn't is up to that this be accurate? Wouldn't that up be to this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's barely in Clash of Kings. Okay, and that's what I thought. Yeah, so this is. So that's a. It's a. I just remember thinking like, wow, like it was just such a window in. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even though like we said he's still an asshole, it's just like. It just felt like it was nice to kind of dive in and get some depth there, you know. I think he comes, you know, I I wish, like, I could go back in time sometimes and read the books without the benefit of the show. Because I feel like if you read this chapter, he would just come across like this force of nature. Like, he would just, it would just, like, kind of blow your mind a little bit. Like, you wouldn't like him, but you would never forget him. Right. Yeah, and you don't get that sense, even from Tyrion's early chapters. And, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that people talk about was sort of a superficial, his looks, the joking, this this is like some definite, you know, deep stuff getting in here. Like, he's a person. He's not yeah, just, yeah. you know, the cardboard Yeah, it's like villain. from going a black and white movie to, you know, to full color, so. Yeah, that's a really good out. way to put it. So our next chapter is actually the last one that is not a Jamie or Brienne chapter. Regardless, shocking, isn't it? <laughs> um, and it's another one that is really popular in the overall fandom, and it's A Storm of Swords Sansa 7, which is Sansa's yes. last chapter. Um, one of my favorites, yeah. So I think, Kama, you had an excerpt from this chapter that you wanted to read. I did. Um, 
and I suck at doing this, but okay. Um, when she opened the garden, uh, when she opened the door to the garden, it was so lovely that she held her breath, unwilling to disturb such perfect beauty. The snow drifted down and down, all in ghostly silence, and lay thick and unbroken on the ground. All color had fled the world outside. It was a place of whites and blacks and grays, white towers and white snow and white statues, black shadows and black trees, the dark gray sky above. A pure world, Sansa thought. I do not belong here. Yet she stepped out all the same. Her boots tore ankle-deep holes in the smooth white surface of the snow, yet made no sound. Sansa drifted drifted past frosted shrubs and thin dark trees and wondered if she was if she were still dreaming. Drifting snowflakes brushed her face as light as lovers' kisses and melted on her cheeks. At the center of the garden, beside the statue of the weeping woman that lay broken and half buried on the ground, she turned her face up to the sky and closed her eyes. She could feel the snow on her lashes, tasted on her lips. It was the taste of Winterfell, the taste of innocence, the taste of dreams. Wow. <sighs> yeah. You were great, great at that. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. You know, I this, yeah, I love this chapter for like the picture that he paints and like, you know, her building that castle and thinking of home, but then you combine it too with, you know, Lysa kind of <laughs> revealing say. all of these secrets at the, you know, all of these secrets that have been going on for three books at the end of it and it's just like holy shit like what a great chapter it's really well, like a soap opera at the end it's awesome yeah well and this is this is another she gets as a character there's a couple things that happen a lot with her in fandom one is that there's this prevailing notion that she's stupid and unobservant and no she she actually is very good. You, you you have to read to get it, but she does. She puts together these bits of information, and she reads people really well. I've she's, never understood that feeling about Sansa. She knows how Littlefinger is perceived. She knows what's driving her aunt. She understands that Marilyn is bad news. Um, the other thing that drives me crazy is that because she is objectified by these older male characters. Again, if people keep forgetting how young she is, she is 12. And for a 12-year-old to be thinking that she does not belong in a pure world, I mean, that just kills me. Every time. But it's, yeah, I mean, I wonder, though, if on some level, it's that she doesn't believe a pure world exists. Like, she's kind of gotten past Yeah, but that, I mean, you know? for a child it's a child's to have world, to, it, and yeah. is no longer a child. But, I mean, it's because she has been, I mean, and then this man who's got to be, what, three times her age comes yeah, out probably. and, and like, you know, again, objectifies her that, and I hate, I cannot stand him, I loathe him so much, <laughs> you know, but he's, he doesn't even see her for her. You know, she's a prize to be won. She is redemption for him. That's not love. That's 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 horrible. Um, and again, it's a very visual chapter. I mean, and I knew when I read this, I knew that this would make it into the show. And it did. Yeah. Although I mean, not just, quite in that way. But yeah. Right. I mean, you kind of 
if you wouldn't, I mean, why would you make the show if you weren't going to put this in it? I mean, it's so, you know, it's beautiful. And then just, you know, the drama, of course, of, mm-hmm. of Lysa getting pushed out the moon door. Yeah, you needed that. <laughs> so our next chapter is, is um, A Feast for Crows, Brienne 7. And this is Brienne saving the orphans at the Inn on the Crossroads and fighting Rorg and Biter. Uh, and yeah, I'm shocked that this is not the most popular Brienne chapter from the podcast. I have to say, like, this is one that really surprised not me. Not even on my it list. Didn't rank it's number two on mine overall. It's not on my list because I have Brienne. Eight. Oh. Yeah, it's not on mine either. I even selected my favorite bit. Awesome. You want me to read it? Of course. Okay. Seven, Brienne thought again, despairing. She had no chance against Seven, she knew. No chance and no choice. She stepped out into the rain, Oathkeeper in hand. Leave her be. If you want to rape someone, try me. The outlaws turned as one. One laughed and the other said something in a tongue Brienne did not know. The one with the broad white face gave a malevolent hiss. The man in the hound's helm began to laugh. You're even uglier than I remember. I'd sooner rape your horse. Horses, that's what we want, one of the wounded men said. Fresh horses and some food. There are outlaws after us. Give us your horses and we'll be gone. We won't do you harm. Fuck that, the outlaw in the hound's helm yanked a battle axe off his saddle. I want to cut her bloody legs off. I'll set her on her stump so she can watch me fuck the crossbow girl. With what taunted Brienne, Shagwell said they cut off your manhood off. They cut your manhood off when they took your nose. She meant it to provoke him, and it did. Bellowing curses, he came at her, his feet sending up splashes of black water as he charged. The others stood back to watch the show, as she had prayed they might. Brienne stayed still as stone, waiting. The yard was dark, the mud slippery underfoot. Better to let him come to me. If the gods are good, he'll slip and fall. The gods were not that good, but her sword was. Five steps, four steps, now Brienne counted. An oathkeeper swept up to meet the, his rush. Steel crashed against steel as his her blade bit through his rags and opened a gash in his chainmail. Even as his axe came crashing down at her, she twisted aside, slashing at his chest again as she retreated. It goes on, <laughs> but I think for me, like the whole... It's a, it's the build that makes this chapter so great in my mind. Um, we had, you know, in Brienne's previous chapter, she's been going through the Riverlands and it's been ravaged and war torn, and she's witnessed all these horrors and she knows what's what's going to happen in this scenario. And yet, you know, unlike um, I can't remember the name of the Lord and the Saltpans who refused to open up his gates to the small folk, and she oh, had yeah. that line that exchange with um, when she said he could have tried. Mm-hmm. And that's what Brienne does. The the no chance and no choice. She steps out in that rain and she knows it's going to be bad. But she's a true knight. And that's like her moment, you know. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is why I don't understand how people can fucking hate Brienne. How can you fucking hate Brienne? What is wrong with you? How? But she's a girl. Oh, God. She's not pretty. Yeah. She's I mean... such a fucking hero. I mean, like, this is fucking... Big time hero shit. It's like Brienne stands up for the people that no one stands up for. That is just Brienne to her very core. And like, this is just Brienne at her Briennes. Like, I I love this Brienne. chapter. 
I love everything about it. I love the way that he wrote it. And like he wrote it like a fucking movie. I mean, like it's raining, yeah. there's lightning. Like it's intense. Like the fact it's like an old West like standoff. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah that's exactly what it is. You're right. How could they not have fucking done this on that show? I mean, like this is legit hero shit. Because I think they don't. I don't know. I, I, I think it could still happen on the show. You know, just given we have no idea. You know, Brienne is in the Riverlands now with in the same area as some of the people that might make sense for this plot to happen. So, I mean, it could it could happen. I can get why she's not, you know, horribly injured because, you know, they don't want to don't want to do all those effects. But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like. Although I think, you know, they've had Brienne kind of be the hero and be the Avenger so much in the shallow way that it's it wouldn't even have an impact now that she it. would do it in this way. That's it's true. never been as dire as it really yeah. should be. It's never been illustrated just how ho- horrible the people are that she faces here. Or and that's how why, like, hopeless. The the language in this is rough. It's really hard. Like he George mm-hmm. holds no punches when he describes, you know, their the, the what they're like, what they're capable of, um, the dialogue they deliver to these <laughs> to a little girl. Right. Yeah. We have never seen that. Brienne have to go through that. She's been this untouchable warrior beast of a woman that Yeah, I think they they've got her because I don't know, they've got her as this hardened killing machine. They've never I don't think they've ever done a really good job of establishing that for somebody who wants to be a knight so much, this is someone who does not like to kill. I I don't know that they're capable I, I know that's going to sound harsh, but I don't think, and I think it's too late to Yeah, I don't think they could backtrack on that. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, they may try to approximate the moment, but it it could never be the same at this point. And for me, it's really tough because this is one of the the strongest visuals I've ever had reading A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, this scene is just so visceral to me. And that, I guess that's part of the reason why I've always been upset that it didn't make it to the show that, that, and the fact that Brienne is just such a ridiculous hero in it. And it's like, and it's so hopeless because there are seven of them. She knows she can't beat them even with Heil to help her. I mean, like she knows she's going to die doing this, but she just steps up and does it anyway. I mean, that is just uh, quintessential. Brienne. And the quintessential, that is supposed to be what the ideal of a knight would do, Mm -hmm. you know? And, Mm -hmm. and, that's if the, she was a dude, this would be like everybody would be. <laughs> but, but I even over think I think yeah. Kama had a good point too. I think I also do think there is an element of if she was pretty, because could you imagine if she was like a Xena-looking character in the books? Mm-hmm. I'm sure more people would have found her chapters more interesting. You know, which is sad. Yeah, it's a sad comment. There wouldn't be any doubt true. about her relationship with Jamie. You know? Oh, exactly. There's a there's a part of fandom that's that's why Sansa I think gets a lot of grief is because she doesn't she doesn't want to act she doesn't want to be a prize and she's that's that's the trope the pretty princess the you know that that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to stay in your little box you're supposed to act like the prize you're supposed to be happy with certain things and she doesn't do that and Bran is I mean. I'm sorry to everyone who thinks she just needs, you know, a trip to Macy's and makeup department. Her hair's just and, been messed up because it's been under that helmet so long. You know, no, I mean, she is not, you know, no matter what you do, that's the whole point of her that, you know, but she is this beautiful person underneath that, you know, 
And I don't think fandom can handle that, or at least certain parts of fandom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just wish it away. <laughs> I was such a, like, I'm sorry, it was such a beautiful chapter that Kalma read her excerpt, and then I had to read that. <laughs> oh. No, oh, but it's, it's the, the same. beautiful in different ways, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's the same kind of thing. Actions. You visualize it. You can feel you're there. That's yeah. what I love about these books, is you can feel like you're actually in the moment. So our next chapter is another Brienne, and it's Brienne from, well, they're all from Feast for Crows, obviously, um, Brienne 8, which is Brienne's last chapter, um, which inter- you know, which brings her to Lady Stoneheart. Lady and I think Stoneheart. Yeah, this is like the big divide <laughs> of the Stoneheart lovers, which would be Kama, Clotho, and Lot versus the non-Stoneheart yes. lovers. This is me and Guile. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there well, were other we, reasons. Yeah. Right. I need to say, as a, as a bonus, though, like, I mean, it's we learn that Brienne's not dead in this chapter, so that's yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, babbling Jamie's name. Yeah, that's good in stuff. In her fever dreams. And <laughs> I don't know if you guys, either Kama or Clotho, if you pulled a excerpt, but I did. I did, I did, but go ahead and read yours. Okay. Her face, Brienne thought, her face was so strong and handsome, her skin so smooth and soft. Lady Catelyn, tears filled her eyes. They said, they said that you were dead. She is, said Thoris of Mir. The phrase slashed her throat from ear to ear. When we found her by the river, she was three days dead. Harwin begged me to give her the kiss of life, but it had been too long. It would not do it. I would not do it. So Lord Beric put his lips to hers instead, and the flame of life passed from him to her, and she rose. May the Lord of Light protect us, she rose. Am I dreaming still, Brienne wondered. This is another nightmare born from Biter's teeth. I never betrayed her. Tell her that. I swear it by the seven. I swear it by my sword. The thing that had been Catelyn Stark took hold of her throat again, fingers pinching at the ghastly long slash in her neck and choked out more sounds. Words are wind, she says. The Northman told Brienne. She says, you must prove your faith. How? asked Brienne. With your sword. Oathkeeper, you call it? Then keep your oath to her, milady, says. What does she want of me? She wants her son alive or the men who killed her dead, said the big man. She wants to feed the crows like they did at the Red Wedding. Frays and Boltons, I will give her those, as many as she likes. All she asks from you is Jamie Lannister. Jamie, the name was a knife twisting in her belly. Lady Catelyn, I, you do not understand, Jamie. He saved me from being raped by the bloody mummers. Took us, and later he came back for me. He leapt into the bear pit, pit, empty-handed. I swear to you, he is not the man he was. He sent me after Sansa to keep her safe. He could not have had a part in the Red Wedding. Lady Catelyn's fingers dug deep into her throat, and the words came rattling out, choked and broken. A stream as cold as ice, the Northman said. She says that you must choose. Take the sword and slay the king's slayer, or be hanged for a betrayer. The sword or the noose, she says. Choose, she says. Choose. God damn it, Stoneheart. (laughs) I mean, I know it's unpopular with, like, Guile and Chicky, but, like, I'm a true horror fan, especially when it's really well done. And, like, here we literally have a character that's (laughs) turned into a monster. It's the the quote, um, war makes monsters of us all. That's the part I had, which I won't read, but... I love this chapter for the conversation she has with Thoros. It breaks my heart. It's another one. It's like the death of decency. And he's telling her that. I wonder, do you guys have any theories about where um, you kind of 
the good guys from the Brotherhood went? Like, where's Edric and Angai and stuff? Are they going to have a part still? I don't know. That's hard to say, but, like, if I was them, I would have probably just slunk off into the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. I think they probably did. He does, which is is horrible, but he says, you know, some of my brothers were good men when this began. I'm assuming that's some of those guys. And then he says some were less good, shall we say. I don't know. It definitely, you know, kind of lends it you to think that there's some kind of shift happening internally that's going to snap and break. Yeah. And you never know to what extent. That's what I think Mm -hmm. I love about this chapter, too, is the whole time, like, when you first read it and you get this shocking thing that you know Catelyn Stark is this undead creature you kind of have you hold out hope that maybe there's still a part of Catelyn Stark that's maintained her humanity to some degree and then then, yeah completely squashed when she hangs I mean to me it's pod it's like oh yeah when they're stringing up pod like you know like it's another another child yeah yeah, and just Brienne seeing, you know, how he was not saying anything. He's just, hey, you know, dying and like, oh, God. Yeah, all hope is lost at that point. She's gone. Yeah. Yeah. She's on the other side. And I think it was a good choice to make her that dark because uh, putting yourself in that position, anybody going through that and then being brought, oh, yeah. So she was already, you know what I mean? She already had. You she know, already died. It was. You yeah, know, yeah, I mean, there were thoughts in her head. I mean, she wasn't, you know, she was that experience she went through. Yeah, so I think it was, I, I like the cheese is dark. If you know, when I first read it, I'm torn about. It. I like Lady Stoneheart now, but I remember thinking when I first read it, oh, this is a little, uh, she's back again. But I think the way he went with it was the best he could do with bringing her back, making her that dark. I still don't like it, but I mean, it's a well written chapter. It's you know, heart wrenching. Doesn't mean I like you know. I just I can't be too into all of these people coming back from the dead. This is the only one I'm into. (laughs) (laughs) So um, our next four chapters are all, like the final four, are all Jamie chapters, and at least one of us ranked them as their top chapter. Um, And actually, I will say, fandom in general, we are not that different. Um, Jamie is, you know, Jamie's chapters are by far the most popular chapters in the books. Um, Without a doubt. That's cool. So number four, which I believe was Lot's favorite chapter, is A Feast for Crows, Jamie 3. And this is Jamie traveling back to Harrenhal and giving some golden bitch slaps. Ah, yes. (laughs) The golden bitch slap, which they probably have highlighted. (laughs) Highlighted, like the page is crumpled a bit. Some hearts. (laughs) Okay, so... Red Ronnet raised his lantern. I wish to see where the bear danced with the maiden not so fair. His his beard shone in the light as if it were a fire. Jamie could smell wine on his breath. Is it true the wench fought naked? Naked? No. He wondered how that wrinkle had been added to the story. The mummers put her in a pink silk gown and shoved a tourney sword into her hand. The goat wanted her death to be amusing elsewise. <laughs> the sorry. Of- I do have to laugh at any of the barcodes. <laughs> The sight of Brienne naked might have made the bear flee in terror, Connington laughed. Jamie did not. You speak as if you knew the lady. I was betrothed to her. That took him by surprise. Brienne had never mentioned a betrothal. 
Her father made a match for her. Thrice, said Connington. I was the second. My father's notion. I had heard the wench was ugly, and I told him so. But he said all women were the same once you blew the candle out. Your father, Jamie-eyed red Ronnet's surcoat, where two griffins faced each other on a field of white, red and white, dancing griffins. Our late hands, brother was he, cousin, Lord John, had no brothers. And then he goes on for a bit about Rhaegar, and it's kind of boring. So Sir Ronnet was a landed knight, no more. For any such, the maid of Tarth would have been a sweet plum indeed. How is it that you went? did not wed, Jamie asked him. Why, I went to Tarth and I saw her. I had six years on her, yet the wench could look me in the eye. She was a sow in silk. The most sows have bigger teats. When she tried to talk, she almost choked on her own tongue. I gave her a rose and told her that's all she would ever get from me. Connington glanced into the pit. The bear was less hairy than that freak. Oh, Jamie's golden hand cracked him across the mouth so hard the other night went stumbling down the steps. His lantern fell and smashed and the oil spread out, burning. You are speaking of a high-born lady, sir. Call her by her name. Call her Brienne. Connington edged away from the spreading flames on his hands and knees. Brienne, if it please my lord. He spat a glob of blood at Jamie's foot. Brienne the beauty. Yes! Yes! <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, literally, no. at no other point in any kind of uh, literature have I ever, like, fist pumped so hard and been so excited. <laughs> I love this scene. It's my favorite scene of anything ever written. Wow. Which is why it's number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does kind of hit you. I mean, it, it hits you hard the first time that you read it because, uh, especially if you haven't, you know, been rereading or something, and and you get, you know, the earlier books, and you get to feast, and this happens. I mean, it's like even though you can kind of feel like, oh yeah, Jamie definitely has a soft spot for Brian. You're just not quite sure how deep it goes until you hit this. And it's just like, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's totally he, into her. He loves her. <laughs> Son of a bitch loves, loves her. <laughs> there were some other really cool things, you know, besides the bitch slap in this chapter, too. You know, we get, I think it starts out with him in King's Landing or him recalling being in King's Landing. And Cersei's being a total bitch to him, you know. She's like called him crippled like, with, like a couple times within a few paragraphs calling him a ghost of what he once was um i did like too the ill and pain bits where he's like starting to um trying to develop his left hand um yeah. fighting skills oh yeah yeah and, and i have a note from this that i put that was the wind rifled through his hair like a woman's fingers in and that's what he said instead of cersei and i think that's mm-hmm. one of the first times he he left her out of it so the shift in uh that was my little note <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, kind of like, yeah. In the show, the second he leaves King's Landing, he be- instantly becomes more interesting, and it kind of does happen here too, where he instantly leaves King's Landing. It's like he comes, he comes alive a little bit again. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then we get the grisly bits um, with Heron Hall and oh, people that are left. Oh, we got fed to. Was it Vargo well, Hote? Yeah, Vargo Hote. Yeah, fed to himself. Oh. That's oh, like, yeah. Out of level stuff. Who is it? Poor is it? Willis, Willis Manderley, who, like, had had seconds or something? Oh, oh God. He ate the most. Oh. And Jamie wouldn't tell him. Or, you know, Jamie doesn't tell him. And isn't this also where he um, kills Pia's rapist? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh. It's interesting how, you know, just with Willis Manderley, you know, one book, you know, one book and six years later, 
that there's a little payoff to you know to him being released. Yeah, the part where the go ate himself though that was like over yeah. the top. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Well, George was really outdoing himself by feast and dance. He got really grisly. I I, I love it. Surprising one of no, you do. <laughs> So number three on our list is um, it's actually the number one on on the fandom poll, and it's uh, Storm of Swords Jamie Six, which is Jamie's weird dream and the beer and the beer the beer pit. I wish. Oh, I wish. <laughs> That's a whole beer beer pit. It was amazing. Nice hop. Someone's gonna write that pic now. <laughs> oh my God. In the so, pit. Someone named me is going to write that pic now. What are we talking about? <laughs> the beer pit. This is going to be hops. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the beer pit at Hoppin' Hall. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. So I know what we're doing after this episode. Um, so this was my number one. Um, pretty easy choice for me. You know, I think the Weirwood dream... You know, it's something that when you read, I feel like if George ever finishes the next two books, that we're going to be able to go back to the Weirwood Dream, and it'll be like one of those, oh yeah, okay, now it all makes, you know, now I get it, now I understand what was happening. But for the moment, it's something that I feel like kind of points to the fact that, you know, I don't think that George is writing a story that has Jamie's end with Cersei. You know, I think. Mm-hmm. This chapter and this dream is sort of showing, you know, what he's, you know, what his actual purpose in the story is. Right. And I, I like that part of it, but I'm going to be totally honest. It's all about the beer. The, oh my god! <laughs> I didn't even do it. Oh my gosh! Like, dude, <laughs> you're having so many Freudian slips, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I want to go to the beer pit. <laughs> I've learned nothing the about this chapter. <laughs> And just like the snarky, funny Jamie at the end of it, just, you know, and and also good old Vargo Holt stuff, you know, you threw, you threw my bear. <laughs> and, you know, Jamie has the great lines. Her name is Brienne, Jamie said, Brienne, the maid of Tarth. You are still a maiden, I hope. Her broad, homely face turned red. Yes. Oh, good, Jamie said. I only rescue maidens. I mean, come on. So oh, yeah. Gosh. He's such and a I dick. Of you and, you know, all of that, all of that stuff that did not make it into the show, which I'm still, oh. like, super, yeah. super bitter about. Because, really, I dreamed of you. How could you not put that in? Uh, you know, I, I know cat. this stuff would have been perfect. Too. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how this stuff is at all odds with what the show's serving. And, you know, their little quips <laughs> and things. Dream, like, but, I mean, they could have done the, you know, you are still a maid. Like, yeah, yeah, that. they could have done that. Uh, maybe they would have, yeah, with the dreamed of you, but maybe they would have felt like they would have had to have done the dream sequence for the line to make sense. Which, or maybe I mean, maybe they left the wench out. I don't know if that, yeah, you know. The dream sequence like, would have been so awful, too. Like, adapted, but, it would look so stupid on the show. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, I, I wanted it so bad, but yeah. Maiden's line is made for TV. I don't know oh, why yeah. that didn't make it. It's it's totally it would have worked really well. Oh, yeah. And I oh, know that lot that lot loves him, but 
I mean, and you know, Locke. I mean, Noah Taylor was great in the role, and he's really funny in the TV scene. Like, he's just genuinely like, "We only have one bear <laughs> in that scene." But oh, I do miss Vargo a little bit. Yeah, read that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's me really too. Fun to read. Um, it's just you know, it's again, I, I guess the same with Davos Four, where this is one of those chapters that has like a moment of triumph, which are you know very few and far between. Yeah, well, this is almost like swashbuckling, almost. I mean, like oh, yeah. oh, as yeah. contrasted to say, like Brienne in in in, in her seventh chapter of Feast, where it's just this bleak, hopeless, you know, heroic thing that she's doing. I mean, this is just like an Errol Flynn movie. You know? yeah, Literally yeah, has yeah. bodies like watching in an amphitheater. You know, like, Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. is it just like my bias? Um, we like. Doesn't it seem if there are a little bit sort of unusual things happening in the Jamie and Brienne chapters that don't happen, like sort of out of like you're like, oh my goodness, this is happening. This is really, I don't know. Maybe I'm just so biased about crawling out of a well. (laughs) (laughs) There's just to me, there's just a difference about. I don't know. I mean, like Jamie, Jamie's just over the top. Like anything that Jamie touches, just be over the top. That's what it is. Pushing kids out windows and all. Yeah, from the start. Like seriously though, like seriously, if you, I mean, like Jamie is just extra all over the place. That's just what Jamie is. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> so number two on the list is a Storm of Swords, Jamie five. Um, I my notes for this is just bath time and dinner with Roos. Yay! And I believe my- that was that your favorite comma. Yes. Okay. So why did you pick that amongst all the Jamie, all the uh? All the chapters in the world. I love it for several reasons. The obvious shipper reasons. I love the scene in the bath. I thought that was amazing. Um, I particularly love the dinner dinner time with Roos in all of his bizarre dysfunction. Um, It's also fascinating to reread it because you can see, I mean, all the hints about what's going to happen with the Red Wedding. It's all there. It's just white. Out the there. political, yeah, it's really, yeah, you know, I mean, Bruce really is kind of grousing about Rob and um, the thing, like he says, um, to scarcely chivalrous, I can't say this, chivalrous, to threaten your host over his own cheese and olives, the Lord of the Dreadfort scolded. In the North, we hold the hot laws of hospitality sacred still. It's like, ooh. I don't know. I just love it. It's like, it's, it's a fun that part is fun. The stuff with the bath, just, it just, oh, I love it. That's less fun. That's just more like him opening up to her and, and telling her what, you know, very few people know. Um, and her reactions to that. And also the whole, like, it's clear, like, and this is where I do not get this whole platonic boner crap. I mean, because he can't look away. I mean, You know, it's it's even as he's criticizing the size and shape of her breasts and, you know, what her thighs look like. I mean, he's looking. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's just he's like riveted by it. It's so those are the reasons I like it. Also, the whole idea that Ruth could have potentially been married to Alice Karstark just boggles my mind oh yeah <laughs> poor Alice Karstark too I oh poor Roos I think she would have like <laughs> I think Ramsey would have ended up killing her I you know? get I get the feeling that she could have been a match for all of them but 
it's just great. Yeah, in all fairness, I wanted to bump this one up to my number four, but Guile wouldn't let me. <laughs> I think not only is it the bathtub scene, though, but it's like what happens after the bath yeah. scene and how she takes care of him. You know, yeah. like it's such a tender thing. Like she helps um, scrub him clean, the rest of him clean. And she helps shave him. That's a yeah. razor, you know, <laughs> that's some trust and then helps dress him. Like, I don't know. To me, it's just... There's a shift. I think, you know, when we discussed this chapter in in the individual podcast episode, you know, all of the themes of rebirth and, you yeah. know, all of, all of that with uh, Jamie, too. Like, it's a, you know, it's a more significant chapter for Jamie than I think, you know, some of the other ones that we've picked. Um, you know, I, I, I know why I picked what I did. I get why people would pick this or, or other ones, too. But, yeah, I mean, if this is kind of... I think, you know, in the show, this is the... This is the iconic Jamie moment, whereas in the books, I do feel like the bear pit is more of the iconic Jamie moment. Um, hmm. And I don't know if it's just, you know, the idea of a monologue in the show and, you know, the nudity, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, we should have had like what episode we covered those on because we really went into these quite extensively. Yeah. yeah. So then our website. Our, yeah. yeah. <laughs> our final, our number one, and this is one that Clotho and Chicky picked both, is A Storm of Swords, Jamie 4. And uh, I, know I, that, I love that sound. <laughs> I know that um, Chicky had a, a passage she wanted me to read for it, but I wonder, Clotho, if you had something that you wanted to. Well, I had, I don't know if I had this, I had Jamie lay on his back afterward. I had the, yep. the moon mate. That's, <laughs> That's the one exactly. I yes, If you want to go ahead. Okay, and read that. yeah, I can read it. What's <laughs> it doing? Jamie lay on his back afterward, staring at the night sky, trying not to feel the pain that snaked up his right arm every time he moved it. The night was strangely beautiful. The moon was a graceful crescent, and it seemed as though he had never seen so many stars. The king's crown was at the zenith, and he could see the stallion rearing, and there the swan. The moon maid, shy as ever, was half hidden behind a pine tree. How can such a night be beautiful, he asked himself. Why would the stars want to look down on such as me? And that's why. And there's a lot of other goodness afterwards, but that and that was why. This is the moment I I think I truly fell in love with Jamie, and I was like, this. It was just such poetry coming out of. I was like, this is amazing. This is. (laughs) I love like there's things about the old prayers bubbling up, you know, bubbling up from his from his lips, and then, you know, the, you know. The wench's walls were, you know, the wench's walls were oh, there or whatever, yes. but Jamie's walls Sapphires. were all gone. Yes. Like, oh, that my has God. always kind of stuck with me in this chapter, too. <laughs> I mean, and we get, you know, we get the, the things about him, you know, that she had to clean when he soiled himself. And, I mean, there's such, I just love they're put in this situation. I, I love all this stuff. I mean, it's, I, I feel horrible that it happens to them, but it's just so, like just fertile ground intimacy for, and, like, dependency yeah. on each other. And you can kind of see, like, this is the, you know, this is the, these are the moments that, you know, and they bond. And I mean, if you think of your Brienne and you're like an 18 year old girl and this man, you know, he's like a sister fucker, Kingslayer. You've, you've heard everything you said to Catelyn, you know, you've heard all of that. And this is before you see like any of the real goodness in him. And you're kind of forced into the situation where you're taking care of him like so intimately and how, you know, how strange that must be for her and just you know, how awful kind of, yeah, how awful kind of, and just, I mean, I'm sure she was terrified of him. 
It'd be one of those chapters I wish, or one of those situations where I wish I could read a Brienne viewpoint chapter yeah. from the same oh, time because I think, oh my God, you know, yes. obviously <laughs> terrified for herself and what's going to happen, but then also, I mean, just kind of scared of him. Oh man, has anyone done a fan monster. fiction of that yet? Somebody needs to do a fan fiction of that. <laughs> After the her the beer pit. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but this is just like, for me, I mean, this is my number one, just because it's just like 100% pure raw Jamie. It's like everything that is artifice has been stripped away from him, and he's only left with the core of himself, and like, he hates it. It just, how can you not love this? I mean, like, and he is such a fucking poet. I mean, like that passage, like... You know, we talk a lot about how George, with with each POV, he kind of writes, you know, to make it sound like the person that it is. And and so you kind of have a a flavor of the character when when you're reading chapters written from their POV. But with Jamie, he does some of his most ridiculously poetic stuff. And this chapter is probably like the premium example of that. There are just some heartbreakingly, like, beautiful passages in here. And that is one of the best paragraphs I think George ever wrote. I think so, too. Okay, so um, so yeah, that's our that was our top one, and actually, in the over it didn't um, in overall fandom that was actually the thirteenth favorite, so it actually ranked pretty high. Um, there were you know, and obviously our fandom overlap. You know, there's a lot of Jamie fans in our particular fandom, or people that took our poll as well. So there's definitely, I don't think that our results, our fandom results, are representative of the entire Song of Ice and Fire fandom, but. Um, you know, they're not, they're probably not that dissimilar. You know, really nice chapters that, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's a nice cross section and like, you guys really help balance it out. (laughs) Some of the chapters that didn't really resonate with us as much that were ranked were, you know, Oberyn versus the Mountain, which is Tyrion 10 and the Storm of Swords is, was in the top Mm. 10 or, um, A Feast for Crows, the Reaver. And then, which um, did not no <laughs> any of our lists at all. But there was a couple of people that that was their favorite chapter, so it really it really ranked high. And then, um, a Game of Thrones, uh, Ned Ten, which is the Tower of Joy, mm-hmm. and then a Feast for Crows, Jamie Six, which is Jamie treating with the Blackfish, and Edmure Tully. Which, yeah, I mean, one of the questions I have for you guys is, you know, what was what surprised you that didn't make any of the lists? Um, I'm going to say none of mine because they're all outliers. Well, I was a little surprised in the general list that there were no Danny chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, there's a mercy chapter too. I'm seeing, but the fact that there's not arias aren't really ranked very high at all. That's yeah. I think I'm the only one of us who had an aria chapter. Am I? Did anyone else? Uh, I I had the blind girl. Yeah, oh, there you go. And I think with Arya, it's like it's hard to pick out one chapter that really, mm. you know, well, resonates more. <laughs> well, Weasel like soup. I kind of right. love. I mean, I'm amazed at the Reaver rating as high as it did. That's shocking. General was, General was there... fandom loves that though. They, really? General fandom just has wet dreams that about any chapter that you're on. Sin. <laughs> like, okay, well. Yeah, I think somebody voted multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be able to, but I think for me, um, Theon 
not and you know Theon not being in the top ten in either of our lists kind of surprised me because I think there's some Theon chapters that are amazing. Um, I had Theon. um, I had Theon uh, seven on my Dance with Dragon on mine. Theon six, which I had. I think it's five. It's the turn cloak, and I had uh, Reek three. Yeah. Which is Theon, and they're, they kind of parallel. Kind of spread out. Yeah, so you know, make... another that's shocking is the jo- lack of John chapters in the general list. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that it's is kind of surprising. Well, and there's only one oh. Tyrion. There were no right. Tyrions in our list, and there is only right. one on the general and list. Tyrion yeah. has 48 chapters, and wow. so I think for me the biggest surprise is that um, Jamie's Oathkeeper chapter, which. I mean, I fucking love that chapter, and like, I'm apparently oh, the only yeah. one that like really is like all about that chapter oh, compared man. to um. And I actually had two Danny chapters on my list. Get <laughs> That's out! Just me. I mean, I, I love her last chapter in A Game of Thrones. I think is amazing, and I really love the House of Undying. I think it's really really weird, and I think mm-hmm. there's something like weird and mystical about it, and you I just really like, like the that chapter. Stuff you're big on. I do kind of like, like the prophecy, prophecy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, well, maybe you should read through like the top ten list for general fandom, like how they ended up yep. ranking. Yep. So, um, the first one was a Storm of Swords, Jamie six, which is the Weirwood Dream and Bear Pit, and then Jamie five, which was his bath time, and then tied for third for was oh yeah, tied for third was Sansa seven, the Winterfell Snow Castle, and then Tyrion ten, which is Oberyn versus the Mountain. And then fifth was the Reaver. Sixth is uh, Davos, the North Remembers. Seven is um, Brienne and Lady Stoneheart. And tied for eighth is the Red Wedding with um, Game of Thrones Ned 10, which is Ned Dreaming of the Tower of Joy. And then tenth was um, A Feast for Crows, Jamie Six, which is Jamie and the Blackfish. Mm. And if you look at it by POVs, um, Jamie is by far the most, I mean, I did something where I, I, I'm a nerd, you guys. I did like an average <laughs> points per chapter, and and Jamie has like by far the most points per chapter of you know anyone with any significant. Um, oh wow! He does. Whereas, yeah. One of the interesting things is like Cersei that, has, um, you know, very like there's very few oh. Cersei chapters that were very oh, popular. Very. And I I think it is you know having gone through all the Cersei chapters, <laughs> oh, like God, they're very good. Much. But it's sort of like, it would be kind of hard to pick out one. Yeah, it would be hard to pick one because she's just so Cersei all over the place. What yeah. what flavor of Cersei do you want the most, uh-huh. I guess? I love that this <laughs> Veramir Sixkins, who I don't even remember, oh, I love outranks that Barristan. <laughs> well, Veramir, I mean, some of the other, there's a few interesting, there's yeah, actually uh, many interesting statistics that. about this. Um 112 out of all 350 chapters, and at this point, this this considered um, pu- like somehow officially published or transcribed wins chapters. So this actually doesn't include the Aaron chapter that he read recently. This was all before that. So 112 out of 350 chapters got votes. So that's 33 percent of the chapters, which I think is freaking amazing. Yeah. Wow. And then the sample. only point of view that got no votes for anything was Quentin, which... <laughs> what about Chet? <laughs> I, mean, I also anything? think... Yeah, Chet had... There's Chet, <laughs> I believe there were Chet chapters. That are no, the Chet there chapter. are not. Wow. 
There's not? Okay, so Chet and well, Quentin. Actually, that's not surprising at all. I mean, I don't know why I'm going, wow. I mean, I liked the Chet chapter. I did not. I don't even remember that. It's the, it's the prologue to Storm of Swords. But yeah, I mean, it, there's really a great breadth of chapters that people really liked, which I thought is really, you know, really cool that there's, you know, storylines that, you know, storylines that really resonate with different people. And I, I think I can remember myself being like, well, who cares about the Greyjoys? And blah, blah, blah. And I think Chicky said something like, oh, I think the Greyjoys are actually pretty popular. <laughs> like, yeah, I think apparently oh, you're yeah. right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Victorian kind of like and Euron? Oh, my God, yes. General like, fandom loves those yeah. guys. My and favorite it's a good check on us, I think. Well, that's upsetting. <laughs> what? My favorite brand chapter only got one, it looks like. Oh. And what happens in that chapter? It's uh, Storm of Swords, Brand 4, um, and it's they're at the Night Fort. And I love it because I'm okay. fascinated by the Night Fort. Um, but it's like throughout the whole thing, he's he's remembering all the stories that Old Nan used to tell him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very much like, first of all, I love the stories. I think they're really cool. But it's very much this kid who always loved that stuff now in what is really like the haunted house to end all haunted houses, you know, telling himself there's no such thing as ghosts. There's this, there's that. And then, you know, kind of like, and it's the one where Sam comes out of the well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, that mm-hmm. was creepy. Yeah. And it's, it's just really creepy it and atmospheric. Creepy. And it's, I, it's one of my, it made number 10 on my list, but it's one so, of my you favorites. Know, I don't want to air our dirty laundry here, but I'm just going to say I was the person that thought we should do brand chapters. Oh, God, you did. You really pushed hard for that. Which would be awesome. I'm, you know, other, obviously, you know, I think what one thing this does show is that you can pick out, like, different POV characters and, and go through their journey, and you're probably not going to have a bad story told. Like, it's really not mm. going to be mm. unsuccessful, like, regardless Although I of am glad that do. we are doing Catelyn. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm excited about That's the Catelyn chapters. Yeah, um, do. Well, I'm sorry. Jojen paste. I'm I'm good. Oh, oh well. <laughs> I think one thing that was interesting to me is that a lot of the wins chapters that were released were ranked, and I'm wondering, you know, how does that guy, how does that make you guys feel about? wins in general, you know, assuming that it someday is written, does it make you feel more positively seeing the sample chapters or negatively? I've enjoyed the ones I've, most of the ones I've read. I haven't read all of them. Um, I liked Mercy. I loved the Sansa chapter. Um, Yeah, that was, they were both good. But there's a lot, what I love with his writing is there's so much packed in there. You really have to read them. If you're going to get the full effect, you have to read them carefully and um, but they encouraged me. My only fear is that they were all written like 10 years ago or whatever. Oh. And it's just it. You know, there is no new content. But. And I really, I liked the last Ariane chapter that he really, he either, I, I think he released it and not read it, but it has, you know, like his great crusty old lady and it's just, <laughs> you know, it's kind of fun. And, you know, Elia Martel, Elia Sand, excuse me, Elia Sand is obviously like kind of a fun character and, you know, it just, again, I don't know when it was written, but it makes me, like, feel a little bit more positively about a storyline that I otherwise wasn't, like, super interested in. Mm. 
See, that's funny. I I have I have had had been avoiding, I should say, the the wins chapters. I finally broke down and read. I think it was Tyrion two that he released. He released it with one of the apps or something mm-hmm. that came out, and I I read that. I can't remember how why I broke down and read that, and then I um. I read the Sansa chapter when it came out because I was legit hoping to find some sort of breadcrumb about Jamie and Brienne. Which we might have. Which we might have, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I realize we're in the minority there, but I kind of think we may have. But, um, you know, I, I, I was feeling pretty, pretty good about those. I haven't read any of the others, but I know what's in them. I've been in fandom enough to have heard. And, like, the Mercy chapter, to me, makes it sound like he's really moving the story forward. But then I was at... Um, Worldcon last year and he read he read that Ariane too that I think he just released and when I was listening to that I was like shit he is not getting his pacing problems worked no, out at I all mean, I think she has like two chapters of traveling to Storm's End yeah I mean right yeah so I mean I'm I just no. am like and the same thing with Tyrion too I mean you know yeah. it was like things were happening in that but I'm like oh, but there was one before this and like <laughs> what happens in that I mean, like, I feel like if you can read the second chapter of a character, like, it, to people before the book is released, that probably the first chapter maybe wasn't that necessary. I don't know. Like, you know, what I mean? maybe there's an editor at some point who will yeah. be able to make yeah that, to make that call I mean, because yeah, here's hoping, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel. I actually, I feel less optimistic the more he is released. I guess. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I know it does kind of feel like he's just trying to like the the plug his fingers in the dike wall, you know. <laughs> just here's like here's a chapter, here's a chapter. I think as someone who's a procrastinator, and I think I get this because I think I, I've, I have this in common with Mr. Martin here. I think it's like this is what he's written, and when he periodically just releases things to like you know kind of see look look really really I'm writing. And I think the stockpile of that material is going to dry up real soon. I think we've seen pretty much all he's written, and that scares the crap out of me. See, I don't know that – I think we've seen all that he can release because there's – I mean, there's just things like he obviously can't release anything that happened at the wall because it's on cliff. There's too many – anything that ended on a cliffhanger, he can't release. So there's (sighs) these stories that are – I want to believe stories. that, but I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I've said it a million times, but he just needs to do like a Reader's Digest, create his own little yeah. Reader's Digest that he sells to people, put some cereal out, <laughs> well, you know, once a month, <laughs> if he I could mean, do that. He Charles resolved. Dickens with it, yeah. <laughs> if he hasn't resolved Jamie and Brienne, so, I mean, there's a chance we could still influence him. So, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> do it. Don't do kill him, George. Papery. Do this. <laughs> oh. Don't oh, even have God. to go back to Stoneheart. Um. You know, when you made your list, was there anything that you thought would be on it that didn't make it? Working. Well, I really struggled. I wanted to put um, Sansa 7 from Storm of Swords. I really came close to doing it, but I didn't. And I kind of figured it would make the, the general fandom list, and yeah. I turned out to be right. So Yeah, I wish I, I had thought, it after the fact. Yeah, I thought I would have had a Cersei chapter, one at least. Mm. But, yeah, like you said, you can't really pick one. I can't, yeah, I think I you nailed it, Guile. It's hard to pick one. It's hard to pick one. I didn't one have Thursday. Devin and Jenna, which, you know. Yeah, uh, there were a couple of Jamie ones that I didn't have. I had that one. That was number eight for me. Did anyone else pick the sword fucking chapter? Oh, no. That was good, too. Damn it. <laughs> 
I think I, I was the only one that had that. Oh, that's cool. Like, that's cool. There's like a group of chapters that are just kind of like the Jamie Brand Shipper Bible that you just kind yeah. of like <laughs> reread. Um, I don't know, but like as as chapters, like full chapters. I, yeah, I mean, like the sword fucking is interesting, but there's also just like a lot of travel log type stuff in there. Nobody picked my Theon chapters. That's okay. I know, and I I think, like, Theon's another one that the quality of his chapters in dance and, like, the quality of that northern storyline is so strong that it's hard to pick one in particular. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's the case. I think if I had done a reread, like, more recently, I, I think it probably would change my list dramatically, but I'm going with what I know. I picked the two that are kind of, they're the... They kind of go together. They're the, the too much information chapters mm-hmm. where the poor man, I mean, he's got no choice. He's he's a prisoner. He's been dehumanized to such a level. And he's got these two middle-aged people basically sharing their stories of sex with other people with him. And he has no choice but to kind of like... No chance and no choice. I mean, it's like <laughs> literally that, you know, like you're in a room with, you know your friend's mom or something and they're talking about the time they lost their virginity and you're like, Oh my God, get me the hell out of here. And um, then you're, you know, you've been castrated and maimed. You, you just have no choice. But um, <laughs> that that's partly why I picked them, but I loved, um, I think my favorite of Theon's, I think is the, well, one of them is that I picked because I just love that aspect, but the, uh, it's the turn cloak. And mm-hmm. I love, because there's all that, Oh, this that, northern conspiracy stuff which is probably not going to happen i have to get used to that but like the snowmen that they've been making on the top of winterfell which i think is like a code you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah we think it's a code to say who the who's, um who's, who's going to turn against the bolts. the missing snow um the missing swords in the crypts which we know why they're missing but i kind of wonder if that's going to mean that the kings of the north rise and I really love what I think is the, one of the most beautiful parts of this and so sad is when he's in the God's wood and he's like, you know, sort of praying to these gods that aren't his gods to please like save me. Um, I don't know. And it ends with there are ghosts in Winterfell, he thought, and I am one of them. And it was yeah. just like, oh, my God, my heart. Um, Poor baby Theon. And I had a Davos chapter. Which which Davos did you have? I think it was maybe the one you had. It was the Blackwater one. Oh uh, no, I, I just had his three. dance ones. It was like yeah. it was just like I love him as a character, and it's like it's like he's the voice of the small folk. You know, he's not born to any of this. He's never really forgotten who he is. He's this decent human being, and it's like I love that. And mm. it, it's it's just I love Blackwater book or show. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, it is really good. You forget. I, I guess I need to reread too. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? It's um, I started, anyone else like, have, at the start of the summer. I need to continue. Anyone else have any chapters before we get in the mail? Quick. Oh, I had I had um, Storm of Swords, uh, Tyrion Eleven. Which is uh, when he kills Tywin when he's mm-hmm. released. Um, that's yeah, one of my that's faves. A good one. That's a good one. I really like. 
Yeah, I really like the writing in it. I really like the way George kind of does Tyrion's psychotic break. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a good one. All right. Uh, Clotho, do you want to do mail? Yes, I have a review from Pod Bay FM uh, from Jessica. A lovely podcast for everyone, not just Jamie and Brienne fans. I found this podcast after the reunion in season six. I had other podcasts about got that I listened to regularly. I was checking the Jamie and Brienne tag on Tumblr and found this podcast. I'm now listening to the backlog. Great commentary, and I love the host's personalities. As long as you post, I'll be listening. Very cool. Oh, <laughs> nice and then we got a couple of nice long emails. I'm going to try to do them justice. So our first one is from Alex, and she says... You couldn't believe my face when I found out that such a thing as a Jamie and Brienne podcast existed. That's like my aesthetic right there. I love, love, <laughs> love this podcast so much. Your chapter analysis, episode recap, Lannister family special, oh my god. I even listened to the RPG episode and I almost peed with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> I just discovered it about a week ago and I can't get enough of it. It sends me that I'm almost through it. Anyhow, I wanted to send my love and some ideas. How about a Tarth family special? I know this is difficult considering the little info we have on Brienne, Selwyn, and such, but since you guys are reading the Duncan Tales, and I found this delicious little theory, which I think has a lot of interesting stuff, and she puts in parentheses, secret Targs ahoy, and I would love to hear your Selwyn slash Brienne family dynamics, ideas, and feelings. I would kindly suggest it. Another idea I've thought about is maybe have a JB and JC, which uh, Jamie and Brienne and Jamie and Cersei thought discussion panel. Um, <laughs> I feel there's always a, I feel there's always a little silly hostility between the two, and it might be nice to open nice thoughtful discussion on both sides. It's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. You can try. I'm like just like picturing how that would go down in my head. Oh, <laughs> I like, almost want to do it just to witness it. <laughs> <laughs> we have like ding, 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 like little noises, like knockout sounds. <laughs> and she says, finally, I have a couple of questions for you guys. How blue are Brienne's eyes? I always see in fanfic sapphire blue and wonder what shade they are. Light blue, dark blue. It's such a micro question, but I've been curious. That's her first depends question. Depends on the light. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how Jamie thinks of them that day. <laughs> Man, I just think intense blue. That's my that's my take on her eyes, like a super bright, you know, you know. Either either Jamie's just really in love, or they really are super extraordinary. So, <laughs> and uh, her second question, odd question, but do you think Jamie would be attracted to Brienne if she was strikingly beautiful? I know the default would be yes, but if Brienne really held traditional this traditional beauty, wouldn't it just remind him of Cersei? I feel his attraction for Brienne also has foundations on how much she does not look like Cersei and how she's completely different sort of beauty. Um, you guys commented on your chapter reviews how he takes note of her physical appearance and finds himself attracted to unconventionally attractive women throughout his narrative. Uh, you know, She just says, does this question make sense? Yeah. yeah. It does make sense. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think he would have been. I mean, I think... Uh, I think really good looking people are just kind of like a given to Jamie. I think he's more interested in what's interesting and different. Like we kind of see that with who he's attracted to, like Hilda and Pia. I mean, like they're not the common people and you see him really just lightly dismiss people who are considered beautiful by other people too. I mean, like, you know, like Jane Westerling and stuff. He's just like, meh, he's like not worth throwing a kingdom away for. 
It's also like what Brienne is, and if it's still Brienne and it's still her person, I he would. I think I think that's what he's attracted to. I don't think it's a physical thing with him. I think it's a physical thing though, because I think he's fixated on her physicality so much. Oh, that's. I mean, maybe, I think maybe if she was like a Daisy, if she in, was like yeah. a Daisy Mormont, maybe. I think it's the like it's the taking a second look part. And it yeah. seems to me that with yeah. the conventionally attractive people, he's not doing that really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I, I don't, so, yeah. and honestly, I don't know how much there is to Jane Westerling, but the girl didn't want to get rid of her crown. You know, she loved Rob. She, you know, she tried. So well, that's, I gotta, what he's, that's what he like is like, I don't not, attracted. It's not the right word, but that's what he admires about her. Like he but, dismisses her beauty, but I think, you know, when he's yeah. like the daughter's worth more than the mother, like he admires like her spirit and like I guess you know, I she just, did really love him. I think it's like he comes from a world where beautiful people are kind of a given. His family, with the exception of Tyrion, are all very attractive people. It's just something he's used to and I think it would take more for him to know I don't know. And it's so difficult because if Brienne was beautiful, she wouldn't be. She really wouldn't be who she is. You know that, right. that really you know, fundamentally would have been markedly so, different. Yeah, they so may it's never a difficult. Have met yeah. and, well, she'd be married, and she'd have. Yeah. You know, she'd be married, and probably would have died in childbirth by now. Jesus! Or or she would be married with kids and and wouldn't. I mean, be interested and not I mean, die in childbirth and be perfectly happy. <laughs> but it's like her life would have been different. Like, would she have wanted to have become a knight if she yeah. could have been the beautiful maiden? I don't know. No, yeah. we kind of get the feeling that no, because it, it, you, you can just see she's kind of driven toward she the outside of femininity. Yeah, yeah. She really is not naturally a quote unquote tomboy. It's clearly no. just, you know, it's kind of the lot that was given to her and she, she realized she had to take it or she was going to get stuck in a terrible version of the feminine life, you know, like married to some guy five times her age. Who right. She wants to no be like the Sansa of the story. Like that's yeah. the irony of it. Yeah. yeah. That is the sad irony of it. Yeah. So that was a that was a good question. I like yeah. that question. Great question. <laughs> so thank you, Alex, for that. That was a cool question, a cool letter. And um, next we have a letter from Tina. She says, "Hello, I tried to rate you on iTunes, but I don't think it works, so I'm sending it to you here. I found your podcast a little while ago, and I binged until I was all caught up. I eagerly wait every every week's episode. You are all the best." The podcast, and she's <laughs> the best fucking thing I've ever found. Yeah. <laughs> She said, um, stumbling upon Close the Door and Come Here is hands down the best thing out there. You not only cover both Got and A Song of Ice and Fire material, but you also do it in the most comical and entertaining way. Things like Drunk Cast, Hubby Cast, RPG, and silly nicknames like Salsa Keep Me in Stitches. <laughs> this is also the first podcast I've found with leaning towards my favorite characters. RPG are some of my favorites. I love you guys when you realized at the end you spend money on a horse, but you had one the whole time. Ha ha. <laughs> that was <a> tricky. <laughs> that <No>. is funny. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I forget things too, man. Very <laughs> I could say I'm a Jamie Brand shipper now that I had. Wait, she says now. Not that I had anything against the pairing, but now I am obsessed with the two. They really do just need to bang already. Um, your podcast makes me feel at home. Um, okay, let's see. I usually don't comment or ask questions. Um, but you all make me feel like I'm a part of the crew. Well, I'm glad you wrote the letter then. Okay. Yeah. And she said she's going yeah. to uh, she's going to read the Dunkin' Egg books right along with us. 
And I'm not sure what episode it was, but way back when you guys talked about GRM, GRRM, loves to write people in bath scenes, and all I could think about after that was a, I could picture was GRM sitting in a big bubble bath writing Wings, Winds of Winter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's I know. Maybe that's why it's taken him so long. He's relaxing too much. <laughs> too much and, wine while in the bubble bath. And she says she really enjoys the fanfic episodes. Um, she said, "Keep me entertained, no matter what the topic is. You're also talented. Um, how the hell do you guys have time to do this podcast weekly and write fanfic? You're all amazing." <laughs> <laughs> The answer to that is I haven't written fan right. in a long time. <laughs> and so she many ends- other things get pushed to the wayside. <laughs> and she ends it with, she has one uh, of, a, a specific episode comment. She goes, in episode 85, I really enjoyed how Guile went into depth with her envisioning of what she wants to happen with Jamie and Brienne. She said she pictured the history of Westeros a thousand years in the future, how they would list in the histories that Brienne of Tarth killed the evil Kingslayer with the help of Golden Hand, the just, not knowing the two are different. This is fucking awesome. I would never think of that. It's totally the kind of thing that would happen. I totally subscribe to that. Thank you. And Tina, she's cutie pie, or cutie pillar, sorry, on Tumblr. <laughs> that was Aww. an awesome email. Aww. So sweet. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. We have you. <laughs> we have two uh, messages from Tumblr. Um, Underwater Woods says, Love the sound effects on your latest RPG app, and I started cracking up every time <laughs> I remembered all this was happening for a cat. Random question. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Finn. It's Finn, right? <laughs> Random question: What would you guys want to ask Nick or Gwen if they ever came on to podcast? The fuck are you doing here? Miss <laughs> <laughs> a turn somewhere? No. What do you smell like? <laughs> we already know that, so don't we? Insightful questions will definitely attract them. Yeah. Well, I'd ha- you know we'd have to. Well, you know we can't ask that because Guile, you already did it. You already got the response about the green plaid shirt, and yeah. you missed it. That would have been. Well, I want to know what actually happened to it. I'm thinking there's a whole story, and I'm yeah, we could get them more. Yeah, we could I probably more. would like ask him how brutal was season five. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Right on the spot. Oh, he'd he'd wriggle his way out of it, but it would be fun. That question would be a good one. Like, (laughs) how terrible was that season for you? I would like that. Yeah, I would. Or you could give him truth, right? Or if you could give him truth serum, he'd be like, "You acted the boner, didn't you?" (laughs) That's a good one. Oh my god, we'd have a list, I'm sure. And uh. Our uh, final Tumblr message, final message of the night that we got is, Hi, ladies, from um, alias SD6. I was about 15 episodes behind, but have been listening while at work to catch up. I was sad there was no bang this city this season, but at least JB are still alive. Hopefully Jamie Ruler surface and we've seen the last of Larry. As always, it's fun to listen to all your crazy theories. Keep up the great work. Mm-hmm. Oh, we love you, alias. <laughs> Love you. We hate that fucking Larry. Yeah, <laughs> I feel the same way. Larry die. <laughs> well, thank you guys for indulging um, my top ten special episode. That's been months in the months in the making. Um, next week we are starting the Dunkin' Egg books, and um, just as a reminder, we'll be using the same reading order as Tor.com does did on their website, and I'm sure we'll post links to that. So you just um, so you understand like where the episodes are going to break, so you can read along. I sure. And that. on that <laughs> no, note, that I, 
Everyone, quick look. Um, this was fun, Guile. Thank you oh, for pulling this one yes. together. Yeah, it was good. This was a good episode. And on that and it note, it should be with six months to put it together. Yeah, that's true. It shouldn't be thrown together at the last second or anything, huh? <laughs> All right. So you can reach us um, at close the door and at gmail.com, close the door and come here.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Subscribe, like, review. And all that good stuff on iTunes, Google Music, and YouTube. I think that's it. Closing the door. Get out.